Welcome to the Black and Neurodiverse podcast, a series where we discuss race and neurodiversity at the same time. Being neurodivergent and black presents unique challenges, and this is a podcast where we talk about them. I'm Tyler Grant, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm black, dyslexic, autistic, creative, the founder of the Black and Neurodiverse Project. Oh, and I'm your host. In this series, we explore black, autistic, ADHD, dyslexic and dyspraxic paths to diagnosis, as well as how being neurologically different and black impacts our lives. From practical tips to in-depth discussions, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone interested in understanding what it's like to be black and in the neurominority. I chat with band grant recipients as well as community leaders who candidly share their experiences in the hopes of helping you. Today, I'm joined by two of the ADHD babes. They help with the running and organisation of the peer support group for black women and non-binary people with ADHD. We talk about a wide range of topics in this conversation, too many to pack into this intro. So let's get into it. My name's Opus, pronouns are she and her. I'm 24 years old, which I had to think about the other day. Um, Grew up in Birmingham, but I've now lived in Nottingham for about five years, so it feels more like home. And I'm a final year medical student. Amazing. I'm Naomi. Hi, I'm Naomi. I'm 25. Um, I'm from South East London. My pronouns are she, her. And I grew up in Germany, but then came to England when I was nine. So most of most of it has been London babe's life. So. <laughs> how, um, how are you finding that as a contrast? It's great because I came from a village type place and that's completely different to a city. So it's a lot nicer to have like more diversity in people places things just everything nice and how do you two know each other through ADHD babes (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we sometimes co-host some of the support group sessions together and do you want to give a quick top of the episode um explanation of what ADHD babes is we're gonna dig into it deeper in a bit but top line what is it what does it do top line it's a community of black women and non-binary people with ADHD. Um, that's just to kind of create a safe space for us to talk about what we're going through, redefine ADHD, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Nice. And so, assuming both of you identify as having ADHD. Yes. Yeah. And any other um, conditions, or is it just like? ADHD I, I I have ADHD but I think I might have a smidge of autism in there as well but other than that um just a little, just a little bit <laughs> <tad>. um, sprinkle <laughs> yeah but yeah ADHD um I've got dyscalculia how does that well. um impact your daily life like I know personally quite a lot about ADHD but it's rare that you hear DCD or dyscalculia spoken about oh no it's dyspraxia um dyscalculia spoken about yeah so I think like people know more about like dyslexia and dyspraxia and then I'm like dyscalculia and like what's that (laughs) and the way I've resorted to describing it is like dyslexia but for numbers um I mean for the most part it's not too bad but if I ever have to like go into the shop and I'm paying with cash then I'm literally counting (laughs) the change on my fingers or with my course at uni as well there's some like medication calculations and I have to triple extra check that the numbers are correct (laughs) and everything's fine and run it by someone else um 
yeah, but thankfully I'm not doing a maths degree, so not too bad now, <laughs> but it's a lot worse in school. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So um, when did you both realise that you might have ADHD? Naomi, do you want to? Okay, sure. Um, so I was diagnosed in 2018, and that's when I kind of realised, like I, I was diagnosed because I had lots of different symptoms that I kept Googling, and there is no doctor like metadata. Like I would put I'd put first all the symptoms would be like anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And then it just one day it just changed. And every single thing I'd put in was like web DM, that thing, you know, that website. Um, And I brought it to my GP and eventually after a process got diagnosed. What was it like for you? Um, so it came as a complete surprise, to be honest. I think roughly about the same time as Naomi, so around about 2019. But I only, someone had only just told me like what dyscalculia was and I looked into that and I was like, oh my gosh, like I just knew I'd been a little bit slow with, with numbers, but it's a thing. So I went through uni to try and get an assessment for specific learning difficulties um and then as part of that I had like an assessment for ADHD as well but even then it didn't really it didn't I didn't really get it and I was like well isn't everyone bored in lectures <laughs> like some of the questions about not being attentive and things like that I was like I just thought it was the same for everyone but clearly not um and then it was kind of after after that but maybe six months or so that I was like, maybe I should look into this and what it is. And the more I read and the more I looked into it, I was like, ah, <laughs> it makes so much sense. <laughs> I could, like, I just never, I never knew it was a thing that, well, I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't think it was <laughs> as common. I didn't think the symptoms I had or, I guess I didn't even think of them as symptoms. It was just the way I was as far as I knew. Um, so it kind of came up as a surprise and yeah. (laughs) And then is there any one thing that you see looking back now where you're like, that now makes so much sense in comparison to like other people, anything that you found super easy or struggled with, um, both of you or something that drove you to Google, Naomi? (laughs) For me, well, it it didn't drive me to Google specifically, but the, the one thing that tracing back I have never been able to meet deadlines and somehow I always like I I still get the result but it's always last minute and usually the deadlines have to be extended and it's not until you're an adult when you realize that that's a real thing or even like when I was in secondary school I've probably handed in maybe three pieces of homework and I used to find it so funny like how do I get away with not doing homework (laughs) and now I'm like it's because you didn't even remember that you had it (laughs) <laughs> do you know what I mean like little things like that um and then some of the things that made me actually google um just a bunch of things like like not being patient or zoning out in lectures that was a big one I'd always leave a lecture room I just I didn't understand why people how people could sit there and listen to someone speak so slowly or I'd know the end of a sentence and people would be like no it's it's yeah zoned in yeah yeah what was on your list Oprah 
Um, I definitely second the lecture thing. <laughs> it's just like you come out and people are like, oh, no, I didn't get that either. But I literally <laughs> did not get it. <laughs> and I'm spending like three hours after the lecture going through what was like 45 minutes or an hour. But um, I think just the inattentiveness was just so much more apparent. Like I would daydream all the time. I'd be sat in a class thinking about what I'm going to eat, <laughs> what I'm going to do with my hair, like <laughs> what's happening out of the window, <laughs> who's doing what. It's just like anywhere but there. And it's kind of like coming in and out of focus and forgetting things as well. Like it's just, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Like I'm leaving my water bottle on the wards. I have to like write on my hand now bottle <laughs> to remember I've got on a bus and I got a bus every day to school like this was something that I did routinely but I just got up and like walked off my bag was st still in there <laughs> that I needed it's just like little things like that it's like how did I not even like something happened or distracted me or I didn't see it in that moment and it's forgotten um yeah. I think just having a million and one hobbies and interests as well. <laughs> I think when I was at school, especially still now, but it's just kind of like people seem to have one identity that was kind of like music was their thing or sports was their thing or they were really good at maths. And it was like, I was just interested in like whatever took my fancy. It was all of them, <laughs> depending on how much interest I had depending on when I got bored of it and it just kind of felt I felt different in that sense and still do a little bit now that I don't it's more kind of like a jack of all trades type situation so I think those would be the main things that stand out now that I'm like yeah <laughs> we should have seen that coming and do you think in any way the I think the, how am I trying to phrase this? Like the expectation or the allowance of girls to be a little bit ditzy or to like be forgetful or be daydreamers in some way, those tropes masked or delayed you receiving your diagnosis? Um, I think it did to some extent, but also it just was never like serious enough, I guess, that it was like, multiple minor inconveniences it was never like one massive thing that I was like wait something might be really wrong and also I had African parents that <laughs> they weren't gonna take you to get a diagnosis it was like why did you forget this and like you get a shouting at <laughs> and just that kind of strict environment so that also kind of kept me on my toes having like that external pressure as well to make sure I, so I did get homework and things in but it was because of that as opposed to, yeah, if I'd been left, it probably would have been same as Naomi <laughs> because I just either would have forgotten or not had the motivation to do it. It felt like a really big task and things like that. And flipping this over to Naomi, how was your parents' reception or like your loved ones' or reception when you came to them and said that you think you might have ADHD or that you do have ADHD? um well my parents till I don't when I told my dad he was like okay this is so funny it's funny but it's sad at the same time because um we were talking about how like I'm I got a like special equipment for ADHD and how I like got um like a reduced amount or whatever because of learning disability allowance that I don't even think he un pe like some people 
understand the concept of ADHD and what it really is. Um, and it's it's more so just the, what's that word? When something is looked down on in kind society. Kind of stigma or ignorance? Yeah, it's, yeah, they know more, they know more of the like stigmatized um, things around it as opposed to what it actually is. Um, but when I told my siblings, they were just like, they read the list, they read the symptom list and was like, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I can That's see that. Definitely you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you both had different ways into receiving a diagnosis and taking it like one by one. I'd love to hear about what the process was like. Like, was it easy? Was it challenging? Was it worth it? Um, unnecessarily difficult like was it what you expected and were you satisfied with the kind of way it panned out um I'll start with Naomi um for me it was it's I've actually had two different experiences because one of them was that when I was at uni and that was with uh, with Uxbridge which is like I think it's the borough of Uxbridge I don't know but they actually responded um properly like they managed I mean I went to the GP initially the GP was like as I was listing the symptoms she was like oh that just sounds like me on a bad day ha 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 and I was just like okay next symptom next symptom and then eventually the list right opens <laughs> eventually the list got long enough um for her to be like oh okay I'll refer you and then that's when she referred me and then when I saw a specialist even then I mean she instantly because they also do like background they ask for what were you like as a child or whatever and um I think because the first doctor gaslit me, the second, by, by the time I got round to a specialist, I was like, well, maybe I don't have it. And she was like, no, you definitely have it. Um, so that was okay. And then I got medication and then the medication helped me. But over time I had to like, at first I had to try different ones. And over time, the one that I ended up with, like I have that one now, it's not the greatest, but I've been trying to change that for a year and I'm in a different borough now. I'm, I, well, when I was trying to change it, I was in Lucian Borough. And they, like a year plus chasing multiple times, haven't received any help. And it's really like, it's wild because people who actually need that help, because I'm okay. I think it was worth getting um, diagnosed and I'm okay because I got some help to begin with, not just from the doctor, but then as I had the diagnosis, I then also told my uni and then got a coach. So, but if I did not have those people, I don't think I'd be able to hold down a job or anything, which is already a challenge now. But um, yeah, so it's definitely worth it. But it's more of a challenge when you're in a different borough compared to another. Yeah, one. I think, um, sorry, we'll, we'll get on to you in a second, Opus. But the disparities between the provision of care, even you're, we're talking within London, but even across the UK, like it's ridiculous. Like there's even a, a quite of a, london-centric view in provision of like care for black people it's like we're not all within the m25 like we're not all down here and i even see like in just talking like even for events or like things like that moving from manchester to london which is what i've done like there is such a difference and so yeah opus if you want to share your experience of diagnosis yeah but just to quickly echo what you said honestly i think it's disgraceful that where you are determines if you get help if you get support with something that you're struggling with and I always think about it in terms of if this was a physical health condition 
a lot of the time they would be begging for you to come in to get your diabetes sorted out or to get your broken leg fixed. And I don't understand why mental health and especially ADHD um, and other neurodivergent conditions don't get the same funding or even respect <laughs> that this is actually what you're going through from a lot of healthcare professionals. Um, my journey has been tricky. <laughs> Oh, are you going to say something? Okay. I was just going to say it's interesting that they... Um, well, it, it, the reason I find that interesting is because ADHD or any neurodivergent condition can have such an impact on your life that it then presents with physical health problems. Exactly. And it's like... Exactly. Treat the cause rather than what ends up being another ADHD symptom or consequence because we didn't deal with this in, to begin yeah. with. But even at that point, they would only treat you for the physical manifestation and then send you back. Exactly. Um, and it's so it's it's it makes it even worse because when you then don't have like executive function, well, when you have executive dysfunction, you then can't even make you can't like you have to beg them, but you can't even do that to the fullest. So it's really sad. It's like you miss that one appointment that you had and then you're on the list again for another what, how many months or years? It's just a never-ending cycle but yeah opens your diagnosis story this is why I love talking to neurodivergent people because we can just go off in tangents and it's just like it's, it's fine <laughs> um, get back to the beginning eventually <laughs> you just get it yeah exactly um yeah same with Naomi to be honest like it just kind of just like for dismissal and gaslighting but initially through uni for specific learning difficulty assessment that was easy enough. It was, I think, especially within a university, they've got disability support services. They know that this is something that a lot of students have and deal with. And that was pretty straightforward. Um, but then obviously the educational psychologist was like, oh, it looks like you might have ADHD as well. Um, but dyscalculia was the main thing I'd gone for. And I'd got university support for that. And I didn't really start looking into the ADHD thing a lot later. Um, but then when I did, then I was like, wait, <laughs> I think I'm going to need a clinical diagnosis, especially just uh, um, if I want the option of medication as well, then you can't you can't get medication unless it's a clinical diagnosis. So I went through the NHS. <laughs> Getting the referral was all right from the GP. Because again, my GP was the university GP. So they, they kind of know that this is something students have. Um, and then I got my NHS assessment rolled by quite quickly. I was excited just to like get some validation, get some help and support afterwards. <laughs> and I went into this assessment and I just like not even halfway through. I just like I felt so defeated and deflated like the questions, the line of questioning I was being asked was like nothing. It was like, oh, but you did fine at school, but you're in medical school and you're doing well. Therefore, you can't have ADHD because how have you made it basically through the system? OK, how have you got through medical school, got the grades to get in? Um and I know it's not even an isolated occurrence like a lot of other women and non-binary people, especially black ones, have said because they've been so successful in their sectors and they've pushed to get where they are. It's seen as a sign that they can't possibly have ADHD. And I think that's such BS. Um, so it was 
pretty much that. And also, I think from a cultural perspective as well, having strict African parents that they're not going to let bad grades slide. And it wasn't a matter of intelligence. <laughs> this is the other thing. It's not a matter of intelligence. I'm intelligent, but executive function is difficult. Attention is difficult if I'm not into it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just came out of the meeting and I like I just had to like leave the house for the day. I was crying on the street. I was like, it's taken me this long to think I might have ADHD. Then I've looked into it. I've researched it. I've said, OK, I can. Then I finally like done all that paperwork as well <laughs> to get to an assessment to ask for help just to be gaslighted and dismissed. And that really like really hurt. And then I was like, maybe I don't have ADHD. Um and just made me like question myself as well. But I'm looking into getting a private second opinion at this point. But I think it's just, it's such a shame and it's a failure as well when you just, <laughs> I guess you don't have the typical symptoms that they think or a lot of people think because you're intelligent, you can't have ADHD and you weren't disruptive in class and didn't get kicked out of school, etc. Um so yeah, my my journey and experience has been pretty poor, to be honest. I think <clears throat> listening to your story, it's like it's really clear where the cultural factors now come into play because as you're saying, like we are children of immigrants, like we don't have the the luxury or the benefit to just piss around in school to like not it's like that 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 phrase that we're trying to run away from. It's like you gotta do twice as hard to work twice as hard to get half as much. Yeah, literally. Like, my mom was like, you are going to be a doctor. And it's like, <laughs> I, there, there's no room for error. And if that means that you're battling, which we are doing, battling with your brain every day just to meet this standard that's not set by you, by your school, because I can, I, can, I, can like, I can get B's, I can get C's with the British, but it's when you're wanting to get these A stars, go to medical school, like, go to uni. I think that's when you reach this realm of excel excellence in a form that doesn't align with the expectations of a neurodivergent person and I think I struggled to explain that even though I was getting what would be considered good grades I was still underperforming for me I wasn't meeting my potential in exams like now at uni I've got extra time things that wasn't the case obviously at school I had so I would get say an A but teachers be like I know she's better she could have got an A star or I'd get a B and it's like she could have like we know she can do better but because the grade is decent it's just always like well it's good enough and mm -hmm. I struggled to explain that to her I'm not underperforming in the sense that I'm getting D's E's and F's <laughs> but I'm not reaching my potential either I think um there was another thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned um to do with the expectations of like women as well and it's like we again don't have the grace especially as black women we don't have the grace to not meet or like to not maintain these archaic ridiculous standards which I like to yeah. maintain at home and to like to be put together and these things are things that become more difficult once you are once you have a brain that isn't typical like yeah and so with that, I want to ask both of you, like, what um, support or things have you do, do you do differently now that you know that your brain is different? Can I quickly add a point to what Opus, Opus was saying as well about strict parents? Of course. Yeah. So um, I, I read this post somewhere that was talking about how 
neurodivergent children never really got the chance to actually be neurodivergent. Like, you know, if you if you fiddle a lot and your hands get hit because you shouldn't be moving around so much or you're almost like you almost shut down into just let me not do anything. Let me not because I actually feel that so much. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really it's it's crazy because then when you when you're finally able to acknowledge your actual symptoms, um, it's almost overwhelming because there's so many things at once that you literally cut yourself off from from feeling and engaging with. So, yeah. That was just off your off Opus's strict parents point. I was like, people don't, we don't you don't, you don't even have the chance. Yeah, you're literally denying your true self. And then it's like everyone. I think this is also a bit of a thing between unmasking as a as a black person or person of color and unmasking as a white person. Because if you if you yeah. have been you've had your traits and manifestations beat out of you, then trying to now. I live alone and I, st- I don't live alone. I have flatmates, but they don't judge or they, if they wanted to, I wouldn't care. And <laughs> I still can't be myself in my own home because I'm just yeah. used to performing in these certain ways. And it's, but like, it's been ingrained even, into you over so long. Yeah. And it's like, it's the binary of a good person and a bad person, not necessarily like, this is what you can do, but I'd rather you not do. It's you do this and we don't speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I think things like that as well, where it's like, um, like indirect consequences, that was also like really hard. Like, I need people to say what you want, what are the rules? Like, so I know what's going on <laughs> rather than I do something like I'm fidgeting because that's natural to me or I'm spinning around or, and it's like this indirect, like unspoken rules that I'm now breaking <laughs> because of that. And then there's like consequences and like you get the silent treatment or you get these and it's like you don't even understand what you've done wrong mm. sometimes. I remember one time I, was, I wasn't acting up, I was just being inquisitive because I'm autistic and I was just asking a lot of why questions when we were out and about and my mum was like, stop, when you get home, it's me and you. Bear in mind, she was a single parent. So when we got home, it was literally me and her. So I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, but like, when you hear this, it's like when we get home, <laughs> the fear of God is inside. Well, it wasn't no, but also the know. sentence. Exactly. What does that mean? It's me and you get. That's true. That's what happens. So I thought it was just like, just save your questions until we get home. So I was yeah. like... Like it's the literal, so I yeah. My questions. I was like, okay, you done putting the shopping away. Like... <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> yeah no sure and like asking questions because like if things don't make sense i'm gonna ask and it was just like why are you interrupting our conversation can't you see adults mm. are speaking don't yeah exactly it's like that disrespect it's like no i'm genuinely curious as to why you said this or i feel like it doesn't make like i want to understand but it was never well, it's not only not encouraged, but... <laughs> it's not that I'm saying you're wrong. Yeah. It's just I'm saying I don't understand. So help me meet you. Exactly. Yeah, but the mere fact that you're questioning it is disrespect from yeah. their point of view. So, Naomi, what have you got in place um, that, that you do differently now compared to what you did um, before diagnosis or before knowing that your brain was different? Well, again, it's everything here is in two errors because the when I first was met with the diagnosis, the first thing I did was research everything. Well, as things happened 
And um, I think I actually kind of hyper-focused on that. And that was not a good idea because then what happens is you spot every single thing that can be in line with, and it's just like a confirmation bias. And the truth is, yes, it's affected by your ADHD. um, But then you learn, I learned later in life, okay, but you're also a human being and human beings do sometimes forget things and human beings do sometimes misplace things. But it's it's this whole like um, beating myself up about, well, not just beating myself up, but like feeling out of control of your life because you're like I'm the only person you almost alienate yourself because it's like I'm the only person who can't who keeps forgetting things or keeps doing this and that um so that's the first thing that I did that was not great then but what I did also after is I got um a I had an education coach who really helped me to like to just view things differently to first of all work on my self-esteem because that's something that's that was really affected not just after I was diagnosed but also leading up to being diagnosed um like being made aware of things that where you're deficient you're gonna feel or not understanding certain situations you're gonna again feel like less than um so that helped and then um learning more and more about ADHD things like ADHD babes really helps because you feel less alone and especially where I'm learning more and more about my own diagnosis every day it's 2018 it's been what four years and I'm still learning things and that's just to say that when I encounter people who aren't um who are who aren't neurodivergent who are neurotypical um a lot of the times I think I met with a lot of, mm, I doubt that's because of ADHD. Mm, yeah, but is it really? Mm, I think you're overdoing it. Mm, this isn't, you know, just like this, you don't understand, they don't understand, but they think they do. And then that makes it really um, difficult to to understand yourself. But I think having communities like ADHD babes and also being on TikTok has really helped me to understand myself enough to not be so defined by how other people view me through their neurotypical lens Um, and that's a big one and another thing that helped is I have I think the biggest thing is community funnily enough because another thing like at work when I can't do work there's another person well she's my friend at work she has ADHD and we do like okay can we do a buddy doubling session right now because I've done zero work and it's nearly 5 30 and it's like yep and it works so Buddy Dublin's a good one as well. Now that you've mentioned ADHD babes and community, yeah. let's move on to just delving and talking about that. So <laughs> how did you both become involved with ADHD babes and hear about it, find out about it? Um, I actually found out on LinkedIn. So this is part of like my hyper focus on researching what it is and wanting to find out everything about it and like what does I, what do I have and how does this relate to my life, etc.? And then it came up on LinkedIn um, that ADHD base was a thing. I think Viv posted it on her page. And I was like, oh, interesting. (laughs) Like, it's ADHD. It's for women and non-binary people. And it's for black women and non-binary people. And I was like, this sounds really good. And I literally just messaged her. I was like, I think what you're doing is really cool. I'd like to get involved. Um, And, yeah, she was happy to have me. And I've been helping out ever since and it's been absolutely amazing um I found out through Instagram I think 
ADHD base was recruiting for like different volunteer positions and then I saw one for workshop facilitator and I was really like I do my own I used to do more so my own workshops about different things and then um but it was never about ADHD and I just thought the whole concept is really cool um the fact that it's women non-binary people the fact that it's people of color um yeah it just made it because I feel like the the experiences are very different even like getting diagnosed boys are more likely to be diagnosed research white men or white boys are more likely to, to have been researched so it's it's um it was very intriguing and it just instantly felt like yeah this 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 will work this will do it so <clears throat> recently read um she's gonna forget the name no she's not she's remembered ain't i woman by uh, bell hooks and in the book she mentions that it's about like black women and feminism specifically but then she mentions that creating black only spaces in response to being othered by white people is actually reductive more than productive and given that we both run platforms that center black people in the neurodiversity movement i'd be interested in hearing what your experience has been like in the movement in general if you bothered to engage with it and then why you love adhd babes as a space and how it's different to previous experiences sorry did you say that she said it's more reductive than productive okay <laughs> yeah I'm gonna disagree <laughs> about to disagree um I don't think so I think space is needed and just because like you need safe spaces to talk about these things and there's a lot of overlap between being a woman or non-binary person in the world in general being black in the world in general and then being neurodiverse and when you have all of that overlapping who do you talk to about it because if you speak to just one group out of all of those three things they'll only get it to some extent at some point other factors come into play um so I think it's very helpful to have a community like this one two I think having a formal space I think maybe the issue is that there's a formal space because I think other people let's say YP for example might have other support networks etc maybe it's not like a formal okay white people get together and talk about ADHD but they do <laughs> and it's just informally they're more likely to know other white boys with ADHD because that is the most common type of thing so I don't think it makes a difference that there's a group exclusively for black people um and then what was the other thing it was reductive Oh, and then the other thing I was going to say is just because we have a space that is for black neurodiverse women and non-binary people doesn't mean we can't collaborate with other people. Doesn't mean we can't collaborate with men that have ADHD, with white people that have ADHD, with Asian people that have ADHD. But the main thing is keeping that safe space for people that, you know, will understand what you're going through and be able to advise you in a way that actually relates to the different things that play a factor in your problems so it's not a case where we have this space and this group and community that is existing in isolation that's not the case at all it's existing but 
we can collaborate we can see where things overlap with other groups with other people so I would have to <laughs> strongly disagree that it's reductive I think there was something else about actually ADHD babes but I've forgotten it might like <laughs> it's all right um <laughs> I okay, just cool. asked Naomi to touch on it in her answer if possible just if you've experienced either like groups or support that wasn't centered around um black people or black females um or black uh, non-binary people whilst you've been engaging in neurodiversity support and um, communication the only way that I can say yes would be it wouldn't be community as a whole it would be um oh actually well, yes, we're in the age of technology. So, yes, I can say to some degree technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, first, I was going to say my the person, the specialist who diagnosed me, because um, there are certain things when you speak to a therapist, they, that like, all, for example, all my therapists that have really made a huge impact. I'm not saying the ones that I've had that aren't black or African. I'm not saying they haven't helped, but I'm saying the difference in being understood, feeling safe and having like a space to truly be honest with yourself and, and grow you own I've only been able to do that with um, people who relate with me and my life and my story um so there were some things that I mentioned in therapy where she was like okay we're gonna have to take it back and it was like you don't you just you just you just don't get it but it's okay um and then also I think it's less of the engaging in because I think I'm already very um, I think I've experienced different groups for different things that, that are not neurodivergency and I've kind of understood, okay, this isn't really a place where I can 100% be myself or where I can 100% speak about my experiences and not feel judged or misunderstood and that's long. Like, I, that's, uh, I don't like being misunderstood or judged. It's long. So, um, yeah, I, I can't answer that much to the second part, but even things like on TikTok... Uh, when I hear people's stories, I think it's more for me the opposite. When I, it's how much I resonate with people who are black or mixed race, um, or even Hispanic, just just immigrants, just not the you know. Um, but to to touch on the point before, I disagree. It's not reductive at all. It's so needed, and there are so many. Um, unspoken things in life that we just don't have access to like the the amount of mini barriers that exist that aren't obvious that aren't like just there yeah it, it doesn't say no black people allowed but when you come there and then you're faced with microaggressions you're not going to want to come back or when you go there and you talk about something and nobody else can relate or people talk about stuff and you can't relate to them like how is that helping anyone so um yeah. yeah, that was a perfect answer. I think touching even on the accessibility of information online now and the fact that we don't have to be on the level of, I mean, ADHD Babes is great and I've, I've been to the sessions as I was telling you, but we don't have to be in a space where we're constantly creating these physical communities or virtual communities. We can just share our experiences and content and it will reach thanks to the beauty of algorithms, people like us who can resonate with our stories and people who might not have the confidence to maybe have chats with people can still find comfort in seeing like this content online or reading more about it through an Instagram carousel and stuff like that, which I think is great. 
Um, so I think one of my final questions for today would be... Ooh, which one do I want to pick? So much choice. I know, because a lot we've, like, because we've gone so much in detail into, like, some things that I'm not asked. Yeah. We haven't covered no, they're everything. they're good questions and, like, honestly, we need like... to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a really good discussion. Um, so what systems or accommodations do you have in place in work or life that help you thrive? So mine is mostly around uni accommodations, which have been super duper helpful. And like, I'd say for anyone who's neurodivergent at uni, go to your disability support service. Um, but I've made to get extra time on exams. And that has actually been a lifesaver because sometimes I don't even read the whole question. Like <laughs> that's the inattentive, like something will happen and like I'll answer a question. And when I see the answer back, it's not that I didn't know. I didn't even see part of it. So like extra time has been super helpful, equipment as well, um, just to be able to do things easier, extensions and assessments um, have been amazing. Um, but personal, like personal life, I think I've had to live off of alarms. <laughs> like there's a billion one alarms. I need to make sure that I have visual reminders of things because again, if I can't see it, it's like, it's not, it's not happening. It doesn't exist. Um, but also having someone to talk through it with. So I've got someone else on the course who I recently found out has ADHD. And it's just been so helpful to, again, that overlap of, I mean, two, it's two people community, hey-ho. <laughs> but just that overlap of, okay, you have ADHD, but we're studying medicine and like, this is how this affects us. And there's probably a lot more on the course, but like mental health and neurodivergence is still quite a taboo, which is unfortunate. So... Um, there's probably more but yeah and also in terms of work I've mostly been able to get away with just doing like part-time jobs where I'm not forced <laughs> to a strict schedule so I can do it enough where it's like it's super exciting for a month and then I can take as much time off and then come back to it um, or kind of yeah basically just get a sweet spot between I enjoy it but I can have a break <laughs> before I get bored um but I mean, every now and then there's still little slips, like I'm scheduled to work, but I've woken up having worked the day before, knowing I had to work the next day and just like forgot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think accommodations have just been like uni, getting jobs that suit me, talking to people about it, ADHD babes as well, for sure. Um, it's an absolutely amazing community. And yeah, just having visual reminders and notifications and make sure everything's like in the planner and being kind to myself I'd say actually just not holding myself to the standard of everything has to be perfect the house has to be clean you have to have food prepped get like be in every day be on it remember every meeting etc it's like you can only do your best and some days that's different some days better than others but be kind to yourself so yeah that's me um other than the amazing ones Oprah said because you said quite a few good ones um I would say asking for like rep some repetitive tasks so that I know what I need to do and I don't feel overwhelmed um what do you mean I think Sorry. it's 
What do you mean by that? So do you prefer repetitive tasks or do you like to get someone else to do them for you? No, I prefer them. I mean, it depends on where mm. I'm at, but if I'm like feeling, if I feel like I'm not doing a good job or I'm feeling like imposter syndrome or whatever, I'm just like, hey, let me go to something that I know how to do. Like that won't knock my confidence kind of thing. Um, and then I think it's important to communicate that you are neurodivergent. I think it's tricky because not everyone will receive that well or understand it well. Um, but at least it's useful to cover your own back. Um, there's connecting with people who are neurodivergent at work as well, like Oprah said. And then um, something that's also helped me is I don't. Hmm. I intentionally don't put myself in positions where there's going to be where it's like high risk and a lot of things are going to be expected from me um, because I'm just worried that I won't be able to deliver all the time. And also, if I if I have a day where I'm doing really, 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 really well, I don't let people know because that is not going to be the same next week. So let's not let's adjust all of our expectations from now. Um yeah. yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, and Liv. Sorry, no, I'm I'm learning to do that in work as well. I'm just like I, I want you to think my best is my worst, and mm-hmm. on the days that I'm having a good day, I'll spend that extra capacity on me. Right, very that, and uh, um, and uh, the other one was. Give me two seconds to try and remember. Um. Oh, lists, lists. I would. I would die. I would be dead if I didn't have lists. Because honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I colour code them. I make them look nice so that I feel like something's happening. Um, And also, actually, something that helps. Sometimes music does not help when I'm doing work. But sometimes I feel so understimulated that I'm like, something's got to give. So you play that young Apple tunes. And uh, Apple tunes, iTunes, Apple music rebranding um and yeah that helps now I second the list like if it's not written down on a list it's not it's not happening yeah (laughs) and the music thing is so weird because I know like so many people study with music and I tried it one time and I just had like classical music in the background and I was like right I'm on it like I'm in my zone I'm studying got music going to stimulate me and then I got to the exam and I could remember exactly what piece was playing, but not the instrument. Mm. I was like, so this is what my brain was focusing on while I thought that was in the background. <laughs> After that, I'm like, silence. <laughs> We're not doing that again. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, like when you're watching up and like doing chores or whatever, then yeah, music or like something on, on TV or whatever. It's great. Okay, so because the quick fire round wasn't so quick, <laughs> I'm gonna we're done. I'm gonna thank you for both like spending your time with me today. It's like the end of a day on a Wednesday, and they both spent an hour to chat with me. So I really appreciate that. Um, okay. I will include all the information of where people can find more about ADHD babes in the um, outro of this episode. So stay listening if you want to know more. 
And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for even just like making this space. And it's been such an important and great conversation to have. And all that you do for like neurodivergent people in general outside of this as well. I think it's absolutely amazing. And yeah, it's been great. Yes, thank you so thank much. You. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I, I don't like praise. So I'm just gonna end the <laughs> I just feel really awkward. I'm just like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Black and Neurodiverse podcast. I hope you found the conversation and its insights valuable. A special thank you to our guests and those of you who donated to the fund because without you, this wouldn't be possible. If you're enjoying the series, please consider leaving a review or a comment wherever you're listening and sharing it with your friends or family. If you want to connect with the community as we grow and evolve, head to blackandnd.com. So that is blackandnd.com. And all the links and updates and information you'll need about who we are at the moment and what's going on, you can find it all there. Once again, thanks for listening. And until next time on the Black and Neurodiverse podcast.